Well, good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for letting me come back and worshiping with you this weekend. Uh, among the uh, wonderful memories I'll take home with me is getting to be with Brother Tim and getting to visit with you and get to know with you a lot better. And so especially thankful I got to hear him preach. And uh, I don't have any doubt that the Lord's called him to the ministry and given him a gift to preach. And we need that gift, Brother Tim. And I just want you to know if there's any way I can help you. I, I, I'd be uh, very humbled to uh, provide any assistance that I could. Not that I've got anything, but I've been in the ministry for 40 years. You'd think I'd know something after 40 years. I should know more than what I do know. <clears throat> but I've made about every mistake in preaching that you can make. I've created some brand new ones, and I've perfected others. So I can tell you what to avoid, if, that, if anything else. I want to turn. Uh, <clears throat> I want to turn to Galatians chapter three, and I want to read verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. And then there's a couple of other verses in Galatians, and then one verse in Second Corinthians five. If God being our helper, you pray for me. <clears throat> My mind has just gone back and forth. Should it should it be this? Should it be that? And so uh, I'm stepping out on faith on this. Pray the Lord is in the matter. So let me read the text. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if <clears throat> ye be Christ. Then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. There's a lot of sermons in those two verses. <clears throat> and for those of you who are serious studiers of God's word, sincere seekers of the truth, if you, if you ever get into an in-depth study of Galatians and you get into the deep waters of the third chapter, and they are deep waters, I just feel like it's important to know that whatever Paul is saying in the third chapter, he's... He's working to get to that last verse that I just read to you. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But I, I want to dwell on the, uh, the phrases that the Apostle Paul uses in that 28th verse because I think it's important for us not just to know from a theological standpoint, but from a practical standpoint. So you pray for me. Notice <clears throat> he's just finished when he talks about where we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And uh, as many as of you are, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek. The question is, well, is he talking eternal? Is he talking timely? Well, let me back up to the first chapter. I'm not going to go from the first chapter to the third chapter. Don't worry about that. I just want to go to a verse at the beginning of Galatians. And set the context, what I think is important to keep in mind as you read Galatians. In the first chapter, starting with the uh, <clears throat> third verse, Paul writes, Grace be to you and peace <clears throat> from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the, this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory 
forever and ever. Amen. The interesting thing to me about what Paul just said is what he said we're delivered from. Jesus died on the cross to deliver us from eternal death. But he doesn't say that here. Now, is he denying that Christ saved us or delivered us from eternal death? Certainly not. Paul himself will preach that. But his point, <clears throat> his point is to show God's people, especially these Galatians, who are in the process of making a terrible mistake in judgment about the doctrine of grace, that Christ came to save us not just from eternal damnation, but from this present evil world. We live in that world today, this present evil world. It's present, means it's in place right now. It's evil, meaning it's calamitous, even to the point of being wicked. And it's this world, in other words, it's this age of time that we live in. Christ came to deliver us from the, the snares and entrapments of this age. Not just to deliver us from this age, but to deliver us from death itself. But that's not Paul's focus right now. I think if you go to Ephesians chapter 2 from about verses 11 on down to the end of the second chapter, you'll find where the Apostle Paul talks about the death of Christ and the reconciling grace that's in the death of Christ, but in the terms of reconciling Jew and Gentile. I used to, I remember as a young minister, I used that to prove eternal reconciliation, and I, the best place to prove that is in the fifth chapter of Romans. But in Ephesians, Paul's making the point that there were at one time two sets of people, Jewish and Gentile, at least in the church standpoint that now there's no to, there's not to be any separation that something's happened to change the status quo and what is it that changed the status quo what is it that changes the status quo it's the death of Jesus Christ the single greatest event not to say the the resurrection isn't but the resurrection wouldn't mean it wouldn't have happened if not for the atoning death of Jesus Christ now we all, I presume, everybody here is a Gentile. You're not, an, you're not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, naturally speaking. May I just say, it's hard for us today to, to catch the severity of what Paul was dealing with because we've, we're 2,000 years past and we've been blessed to be in the church, but back in those days, there was a tremendous schism already in place where that the Jewish believers felt like it was absolutely essential for the Gentile believers to become like the Jewish believers. And if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. If you were male or female, you had to live according to the works of the law. To a Jew, there was no question that they were God's children. They were, after all, the descendants of the fathers. But to a Jew, you couldn't be a child of God unless you were in the family of God. And the family of God were those people to whom God gave the law of Moses. And for a non-Jew to get into the family of God, at least as they understood it, you had to become like them. Now, Paul, who was 
ironically, the most Jewish of apostles, was chosen by Christ, sent by Christ to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to people like you and me. And he was uh, accosted and he was hounded by people that today we call Judaizers. And a Judaizer is someone who goes about convincing non-Jews that they need to be and live like Jews. If you think I'm making that up, go read Acts. Go read the second chapter of Galatians. And one of the Judaizers that may surprise you is none other than the Apostle Peter. Why is that important today? Is Galatians just good for the first century A.D.? No, it's the Word of God. It's highly relevant for today. Because Paul is giving the basis for unity in God's kingdom. Amen. Unity. A church cannot survive without unity. And there is no peace if there's no unity. There's no fellowship if there's no unity. But it's got to be unity in the right thing to be unified in. And that's why Paul went to that link to express to these people who were being accosted by Judaizers to stop and turn around and become like us. And Paul said, Christ came to save you from that. Christ came to save you from having to do those things. You know, Paul was the only one at a certain point in time that stood up for the truth. You read about that scene in the second chapter of Galatians. This present evil world seeks to bring disharmony. It seeks to separate, to break up unity. It seeks to set us aside, isolate us, insulate us from one another. When we see that happening, we need to get on our knees and begin to pray. And sadly, uh, our world, our world we live in, this modern age, is exceedingly good at separating God's people from one another. There's so many distractions. Technology. I don't want to say Facebook, but Facebook. <clears throat> There's nothing inherently evil about Facebook. It's how it's used that makes it bad. Uh, there, there are cliques, there are political movements, there are angry people, there's discouraged people, there's frustrated people. And all of that leads to what Satan would love for us to be is broken apart, separated, not unity, no peace, no fellowship. We, if we don't have fellowship, we, we don't have life. Or we don't have the joy of life. I want fellowship. I want fellowship with you. I hope you want fellowship with me. So to be delivered from this present evil world, it took the death of Christ. But I'll tell you one thing else it requires. It requires God's people to hear the gospel preached. The true gospel. And it requires them to come to an understanding of 
that unity that we're supposed to have in Christ, that Christ has won for us. Paul says it another way in the fifth chapter of Galatians when he says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. We have a glorious liberty in Christ that we are able to enjoy because Christ won that liberty for us. He is that liberty for us. But Paul's whole point in this is that we can lose that liberty by choosing rather to go under bondage. And bondage can be dressed up and made to look so nice that good people, smart people, will fall for it. These people were struggling with a very excellent presentation of what appeared to be the truth. And I tell you, the most effective heresy has just enough truth in it to get good people to listen to it. And we must, in any case, we must be in God's word. We must be unified in the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. We must stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ. Not take it for granted, but thank God for it and defend it with a very, our very lives. This is a liberty that transcends political liberty, governmental liberty, societal liberty. This is a liberty that comes from us from heaven because this present evil world is all about slavery, about enslaving us to opinion, to conjecture, to guesswork, instead of the glorious truths that are the same today as they were yesterday. They will be the same tomorrow as they are today. It's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, we, 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 we see this liberty. And in this liberty, Paul says, if any man be in Christ, that liberty is found on only one man in one place in Christ. If any man be in Christ, and he doesn't mean just the men, but notice what he said, in, for in Christ there is neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. What is he saying in that? I see a lot of females in the crowd today. I see young and old. I see people probably that would say I'm from this uh, part of Europe or this part of England or Scotland or Ireland, or whatever the case may be. But in Christ, and may I be more precise, in the church. There should be no distinction of rank. Amen. We are all on the same level. The only hierarchy in the church is Christ and then everything else. Amen. And when we see a hierarchy, and I'm not saying that I've seen it among y'all, or and I hope I don't see it among us back home. But if you ever get the sense that there's a hierarchy in the church, get on your knees and start praying. Amen. There are men and women, boys and girls, and they, we want them all that, that are God's people seeking the truth to be with us. And we ought to want them to be with us. But just because we're in Christ doesn't mean we stop being male, we stop being female. And this is an important thought for today because a lot of people have taken it upon themselves to blur the lines or try to blur the lines between what's male and what's female. My friends, the, uh, the way to being truly male being truly female is to see yourself in Christ. There's, there's room for men and women, boys and girls, in the church of Jesus Christ. And each one's vote is of equal weight. 
This is the only free society, if I can put it like that, this side of heaven is the church, Jesus Christ. So there's unity in Christ. There ought to be unity in Christ. And if we're not having unity in Christ, we're not, we're not in that sense of being in Christ, at least in that way of being in Christ. There is this in Christ that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 and 3. That in Christ, I believe, is positional. How do you get in Christ? Well, Paul says to the Corinthians, but of him are you in Christ? In uh, the first verse of the 8th chapter of Romans, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I tell you, I love the 8th chapter of Romans. I don't make apologies for that. I know you don't either. How could you uh, be ashamed of loving the 8th chapter of Romans? It starts out with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. And the only reason why we have no condemnation and no separation is because we're in Christ. But there is an in Christ that, if I may so say, feeds off of that in Christ, this other, this positional in Christ, this eternal sense of in Christ, with being in Christ in service, with being in an ecclesiastical sense, in a church sense. In uh, the... <clears throat> The fifth chapter of Galatians, I want to get to the second verse that I have on my mind. <clears throat> and it's uh, one of my all-time favorites. It's in the fifth chapter and the sixth verse. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. It's my new favorite verse right there. He says, for in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or if you're uncircumcised. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. But if you're in Christ, the only thing that matters then is faith which worketh by love. Notice it's not love that worketh by faith. But it's faith which is made operable by acts of love. Our faith is effective when it is motivated out of that love that Christ has for us. And that love that Christ has for us is an unconditional love. It's, a, it's the love that the closest thing that approximates to it is mother's love for her child. It's a love that's uh, giving of oneself, that asks for nothing in return. And Jesus Christ is the perfect example of that love as he lived his life, as he now is even today. The thing that, that brings about this unity that I'm talking about is when a church is full of men and women, boys and girls, who are working uh, their life of faith by acts of love, who show love one to another, who esteem each other more than themselves, who look to see to the betterment of others rather than to themselves, who are not selfish or stingy with their things, but are willing to share with those of God's people, God's family. The household of faith, as he says in the sixth chapter of Galatians. I tell you, dear friends, when you see a church full of people uh, who are looking after one another, not just the pastor, but everyone looking after one another, who are checking up on one another, not for nosy reasons, because you care about them, you want them to be okay, you're searching for their good, and you're doing that which you can to make their life a little better, a little easier. When you're doing that, when you see a church with people like that, you're seeing a church that God is well pleased with. It is a church that exemplifies faith which worketh by love. You know, in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, in that book called on the word charity, which 
in a very brief way, can simply mean love put into action. It means more than that, but that's, that's the shortest way I could say it. At the very end of it, he says, there abideth these three, faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. And if you look in the verses just before that, in that 13th chapter, by charity you can believe all things. Not, not uh, believe all things that shouldn't be believed, but believe, looketh to the good of all things. Choose to see it, choose to see the good and not the evil. Choose to feel like someone is, uh, <clears throat> and rather than your enemy, someone to pray for, someone to care about. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say faith and hope are no longer going to be needed in heaven. That may be true. You know what? But what it really is saying is these three abiding things, faith, hope, and charity, far better than any of these uh, gifts of the Spirit like speaking in tongues and healings and governments, the three best gifts to have, faith, love, and charity. And if you have those three things in your life, if, if you have a church full of people with those three things you have a wonderful place to worship now faith and hope probably will have their end one of these days but charity will live on through all eternity let me go to the third thing in Galatians chapter 6 in that last part of the Galatians <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> uh, with the verse 11 do you notice where Paul says you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. What he's saying there is, is that he had been dictating this letter to someone who was writing it down because his handwriting had gotten so bad. And the reason why it had gotten so bad is he alludes to it in a, few, in a few verses, that because of the whippings and the stonings, the deprivations that he went through for the cause of Christ, his hand had gotten arthritic and he wasn't able to hold the stylus like he used to. But he comes to this point, to the end of this letter, and he wants them to know, I, Paul, am now writing these very words. I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. It means a lot to me that you listen because you mean a lot to me. And the truth means the, everything to me. And the Lord, that is the... The truth himself, truth personified, is all important. So he says, you see how large a letter I've written unto you. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. There were people that were, that were given the trouble. Paul says the truth is they're only doing it to, to impress others so that these others will leave them alone. It wasn't that they cared so much for the Galatians. And that's the way these, these, these people are. These guys and gals that you see and hear preach or supposedly preach. The prosperity doctrine. I tell you, these people don't care a thing about you. But they sure make you feel like they do. But the ones that matter are, the, are like the Apostle Paul. He says, I don't have anything good about me. I don't look handsome. I'm not handsome. I'm all broken down. I'm decrepit. Uh, my speech is contemptible. I have an eye or, or a sinus issue. He mentions that in the fourth chapter. I've got, I've got all these things wrong with me. And yet, 
What made me palatable to you is the gospel that I preached. We talked about Jimmy Bass. He was supposed to be the ugliest preacher in Texas. <clears throat> Brother Chris knows what I mean. But when he preached the resurrection, he looked like an angel. I'm telling you, the thing that will make an ugly guy like me worth looking at is if the Lord blesses me in spite of myself to preach the gospel and power and demonstration of the Spirit. What makes you look so good to me is when the Lord blesses me to preach the power and demonstration of the Spirit. I like you a whole lot when that's happening. The thing that will shake up this world, that has sh shaken this world, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were talking about this this morning. The power of God into salvation is still the gospel. This, this gospel shook the world. It turned it upside down. It was singularly responsible for the downfall of the Roman Empire. It's the one thing that caused God's people to move west was the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be in a place where they were not molested, where they were not under fear or threat of death for their beliefs. They were looking for a place where they could worship God according to the dictates of their conscience. They looked for that place and they kept moving west until God brought them to America's bright shores. And here we have, at the beginning of our glorious country, we have people finding freedom to worship according to the dictates of their conscience, and it's in our Constitution. But, dear friends, Satan is not pleased with that, and he is constantly trying to uh, uh, blur the lines or remove the uh, constraints that are in place so that we can worship God in this public way. Praise God we still can and we still do. But if the threat of death and persecution should come back, I pray we have the courage to still meet and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It defeated the Roman Empire and it will overcome whatever evil Satan will throw against us. If you think the gospel is not powerful, look at what it did to the Apostle Paul. Now, I realize Paul was born on the road to Damascus, but he also had a revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ and what he was blessed to see in that instantaneous moment of time was enough to get him out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel turned a Jewish man who would not have a thing to do with people like you and me to go amongst us and tenderly and carefully and lovingly preach the gospel so that we might be free ourselves from the, the, the stranglehold of paganism back in that day. And Peter, the apostle, who, who was the apostle to the circumcision, Paul, the amazing thing about that is Jesus sent him to be the first apostle to preach to an uncircumcised Gentile. And he wouldn't be caught dead in a Gentile's house until the Lord let that sheet down with all manner of beasts, clean and unclean. And he says, Peter, what I call clean, call not thou uncommon. It took three visions for him to get the point. But he got the point. You know what Peter did? He went into a Gentile's house. And he preached the gospel. And I really honestly think Peter was shocked when the Holy Ghost came down. The gospel will turn you upside down, inside out. It'll make you go here instead of there. It'll make you stop wanting to do this and start doing that. The gospel won't work if you're not a born-again child of God. The gospel's not what gives you divine life. But I tell you what, the gospel will get you off the stool of nothing and start doing something. 
long as your pastor preaches the gospel, you should thank God for that. Bring him in like Brother Tim who preaches the gospel. You should thank God for that. And then people like me, you just bear with. <clears throat> All right, it's time for me to close, so that means I have five minutes. My wife said if I say I'm going to close and I don't close within five minutes, I've lied to God's people. And I hate to admit she's right, but she's always right, or at least 99.999% right. All I can say is I live for that point zero 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 one when I happen to be right. And those are glorious moments indeed. <clears throat> so few and far between. Paul goes on and he says, but God forbid, this is the 14th verse, that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He's, he's restating something he said in Galatians 2.22. It's a wonderful text. It's, it's, I think it's the crowning achievement of the writing to the Galatians. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. I think I'm looking at the Israel of God right now. From, and as many as walk, according, uh, for in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. A lot of people struggle with their past. Go and read where Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The thing that should matter to us as we go forward in our lives of service and faith before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is remember, each and every one of us is a new creature in Christ. Whatever happened in the past, I'm, I have to be careful how you say this because it's like you, you just excuse anything. I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to put the past in the past. Or at least what I think we should say is if the past is overruling our present, then we have forgotten what Paul told us. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Are you in Christ, if you are, you're a new creature. Come here.